most wonderful. Good morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we use that expression many times not with a realization of what we have just really said. For when we say that, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things that are implied in that. One is that we value each other the same as our creator values us as his creation. We says that in those words that we are willing to make the same sacrifices for brothers and sisters in Christ as God did for us individually and collectively. That's what we're saying. So when we use those words, we need to realize the implication of what it is that we have just said. See, for what I tell you here is that if we don't understand that, it is no way we can live the way God wants us to live. It is unfortunate that some of us have forgotten just who the person of Christ really is. The nature and the origin of the church and the doctrines that we are to live by and under. We need to remember those. And so I want to remind you this morning of some things that will help us in that case. In October 2015, a young white pastor and a black guy that was a member of his church was in a, on their return flight back to the United States where they had been visiting a ministry that the church supported. They were in the midst of discussions about what they had seen and what needed to be done as the next steps going forward in that ministry. When the black member decided that he would like to have a Diet Coke, he raised his hand. He said, ma'am, miss, all kinds of things trying to don the attention of the attendant, who was white. And by the way, she never paid him any attention. And so the black member decided that it wasn't necessary to have a Diet Coke. He could do without that because he wanted to avoid further embarrassment. You know, he'd already made a scene by just trying to get recognized. And so he decided to be <laughs> satisfied. It was then that that young white pastor donned his cape and went into action, gathering the attention of that attendant and assuring that his brother in Christ received his Diet Coke. I tell you that story because I believe that that story speaks very strongly to what I want to talk about this morning. And that is how God's people need to respond and interact with each other. In the next few days, we are, just, we are about to engage in what some has said is the most momentous election that this nation has ever had. Well, I don't know about that because I can seem to remember that there's been a few others that's gotten that same billing. But what I do know, what I do know is that no matter who we decide to vote for, no matter what choices we make on that ballot this week, it will not address the problems that are the issues for us. The only way that that is going to happen is if the church comes back, returns to being the light that it was supposed to be to the world and the example that it was supposed to be to the world. If that don't happen, I don't care who sits in that office. Things will not change. The issues won't get addressed. See, 
what I realize is that what you, I want you to realize is that we, like the followers of Christ, are called to be witnesses for him. We're to be the example. Now, don't take my word for that. I want you to go and look at some scripture. I want you to look at Acts 1 and 8, because <laughs> it, bear, it bears me out on that. I want you to go look at Matthews 28. Look at uh, those verses, uh, 19 through 20. It bears me out on that. And I want you to go look at Luke 24, verse 48, for they bear me out on that. You know, there are many folks who say that they belong to Christ and that they belong to the church. Unfortunately, what we observe when we watch them is that their actions are inactions, i.e., their behavior does not bear out their witness. Now, it would be expected. It can, you, we can't expect the world to act the way Christ instructed that we should act. We can't expect the world to show care and compassion for the oppressed and the rejected as Christ has instructed us to do. It is not man's nature to do so. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, it ought not be that way with us. It ought not be that way with us. I don't care what it takes. I don't care who we upset. We ought to be about living the principles and the laws and the, the instructions that the Lord has given us. So in particular, I want to examine some things this morning. You've already heard. When I looked at this study, I found that there was over, over 40 times that Jesus engaged with people. 25 of those, you know, he, they started the conversation or some third party started the conversation. And only nine that I could find that he started the conversation. And so I started looking at those more deeply because I thought that in order to address this assignment that I had, I needed to pick out particular folks. In other words, I needed to look at folks that Jesus interacted with that was not the same as he. Now, that's important for us, Christians, brothers and sisters, because we don't have a lot of problems dealing with folks that are just like us. The problems come when we have to deal with somebody that is different from us, different color, different party affiliations, different whatever you want to name it, <laughs> we have problems. So if we are to act as a church, act like God, as, as the church that God desired for us to be, it would be interesting to look at God's, uh, Christ's interaction with people that were people that was it other than Jews. In Matthew 15, 21, 28, it reads this. It says that Jesus went out from the air and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciple came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of his house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dog eats the crumbs from, falls from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman of great faith, let it be to you as you desire. 
and her daughter was immediately healed. The first thing I want you to take away from this passage that I saw when I was studying it is that Jesus required a little bit of quiet time. He required a little bit of time for himself. In other words, he knew that at some times you and I would need to take time to do a self-examination. In other words, we would need to be enlightened and only an enlightenment that can come through spending time with the Lord and spending time in the word of the Lord. That's how we get that enlightenment. That's how we are shown where it is that we might be deficient. And so as I studied and looked at that, I says, well, okay, Lord, I understand. I need to spend time with you. And certainly, I tried to. But then when I looked a little bit further at this passage, I saw some things because I started to think about the opposition that this woman faced. First of all, it tells us that she was a Canaanite. If you read Marx, it says that she was a Syrophoenician woman. In other words, a Greek, a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. Satan was her adversary because it was one of his disciples who possessed his daughter. And then when I looked further, I saw that even Jesus' disciples appeared to be against her because they wanted him to send her away. She represented too much problem for them, too much trouble. So send her away because she cries after us and we're getting ignored, annoyed by the noise. And you know, even when Jesus answers first, it seems like even he didn't like her. But we got to go a little bit further because it, 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 it may appear that way. I want to just explain to you what that situation really looks like. See, that woman represents the outcast of society today. She represents a, a person that was in need of some help or some blessings. Some might say justice. Some might say righteousness. She and her family probably was rejected by the world. After all, she had a daughter that was demon-possessed. And being that way, she would have been ostracized. People wouldn't want to spend no time around her. They would have avoided her at all costs. The world, they, as, it, as they stood in the world, they was all alone. The disciples, the Jews, if you will, the disciples and Jews, the world, if you will, they would say that she wasn't important enough uh, to deserve any attention from them or from the master. It appeared that even Jesus was taking too long to address this situation. Does that about sum it up? Well, so what can we learn? What can we learn from Jesus how he, his, from his eventual response? Well, first of all, he allowed himself to be interrupted. For far too long, society, inclusive of the church, has been... been at a point where we have been too busy carrying our programs and our this and our that's to worry about the plight of the one who is oppressed or ejected or rejected. For too long, it's been that way. We don't want our agenda. We don't have time for our agenda to be interrupted because we got some things that we want to do. We got some things that we care about. We got some things that we think are more important than this image bearer that Christ has created. It ought not be that way, brothers and sisters, in Christ. So he allowed himself to be interrupted. 
we face that right now in our society. The next thing I see is that Jesus listened, something that a lot of us haven't mastered yet. We haven't mastered the idea of listening to a people uh, in our society that has been rejected or oppressed. And, and, and as a result of that, we haven't acted. But we see in this scripture that Jesus listens. And after listening, he didn't just listen and go, mm-hmm, well, I'll pray for you. No, he went in action. And we might say, some might say that his words were pretty harsh, but I don't think so. Because as I look at the person and I look at what he said to her, I begin to realize a few things about this situation. I began to realize that he began by letting her, this woman know just who he was. See, you and I as Christians, we should know who he is. We've been spending time with him, and so we should know who he is. And it is our job to let others that our lives intersect with know just who he is. Yeah, they say his words was harsh, but I think he was talking to her pretty boldly and pretty plainly. In fact, I believe the first thing he says when he says uh, the little children is actually a reference to Romans 1.16. You know this passage. What did Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, salvation for those who believe. First, the Gentiles, uh, the Jews, and then the Gentiles. So he was just citing something that was already part of Scripture, should have been known, at least to those who know him. But he was also teaching this woman humility. He was teaching her how to trust in him. And he was giving this woman, in a sense, some hope. Because, mind you, he didn't say don't feed the, the, the little dogs. He didn't say don't feed them. He just said that they need to come afterwards. Now, get me wrong here. He wasn't calling the Gentiles dogs as the world did. He wasn't calling them insignificant as the world had thought that they were. What he was saying is that, first of all, the church needs to get it right if the nation is going to get it right. That's what he was saying. Those of the faith, those of the household of faith have to act and live out the scriptures in their lives every day because that is the only way that the world will ever get it right. The only way. <laughs> no. He considers you and me and them and everybody just as important. Well, I got to go on here. Jesus never turned away anybody that was seeking him or needed some help. And neither should we. <laughs> he was the source of salvation and he made sure that everybody knew that. And likewise, there is nothing that you or I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to, 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 we need to not refuse to address, if you will, oppression of someone or the rejection of someone, and especially if those folks are of the faith. It should be noted here that this woman, she don't deny who she is, you know, for she accepts what Jesus says. All she wanted was just a few more blessings, just a few blessings from the blessing giver. That's all she wanted. And we know the end of that story. And not only was she blessed, her daughter was healed, but she was commended for her faith. You want to be commended for your faith? Be an individual who adheres to the word of God. Be an individual who follows Jesus' example of care, compassion, 
concern, support, and provision of the oppressed and rejected. Be that person. And I dare say Jesus will say he will commend you for your faith. Well, <laughs> that ain't the only example because there's a few others. I want to look at Luke 2, uh, 7, 2 through 9. Now, you know the story. It's about the centurion. I'm going to let you read it when you get there, when you get home. But this centurion had a sick servant. And this sick servant was at the point of death, is what the Scripture tells us. This centurion asked the elders, the Jewish elders, to go to Jesus and ask him to heal his servant. <laughs> I looked at that and I'm like, Lord, let me speak on that. Because what I see from what you're telling, here, telling me here is there's some things that your people, me and everyone else, need to know. This is another occasion where he interacts with someone other than a Jew. So I need to say, I need to qualify that. He was a centurion, which means he was a soldier. That means that most likely, in most cases, they wouldn't have been liked by the Jews. In this case, a little different. He had won some favors because he had supported the Jews. But as a Roman soldier, normally he wouldn't have been liked. He also had this working against him. He considered, and when I say working against him, it depends on how you look at it. He considered himself not worthy of coming before him. And I thought, you know, really that wasn't against him because we all need to have that <laughs> attitude of humbleness before we come before Christ. We need to value each other because we know how much he valued us. And we know what sad, bad, terrible condition we were in at one time. But yet and still, he shed that blood on that cross. He stayed up there just for you and I. See, when we start to understand just what he did for us, we cannot be nothing but humbled. Humbled when we come before his presence. And we should be energized to do that for those who are less fortunate or oppressed. I want to take away from here one other, uh, one other thing. When you look at this encounter, it speaks to the value that the centurion had for his servant. Think about it. This man, these two folks are in different social economic situations. He's over the servant. He's got folks working for him. The Bible tells you that. He tell them to go, they go. He tell them to come, they come. He say, do, they do. This, this guy is different from the servant. But he valued the servant so much that he was willing to initiate a conversation with someone that was different from him that he had heard about to come to the aid of his servant. That speaks very loudly to me in terms of what we should be as Christians. Because <laughs> when you think about this process, that's the same thing that we have in our life here. In other words, if they are an image bearer, anybody, if they are an image bearer, their value to us should be high because they are valued highly by our Creator. And we have no choice. The other thing I see here is that that thing has to work both ways. For I believe that we could not have this story in this scripture if that servant had to had a high regard for the centurion. See, it had to work. 
both ways. They both shared and showed concern for each other. And as a result of that, we have this story. Second, <laughs> I have to believe that the centurion felt like he shared the same attitude about people that Jesus did. Why else would he have the dirt to approach him about saving this man? He had a concern, he had a care, he had a compassion for this man. He knew that Jesus possessed those same things, and therefore he was not afraid. He was not afraid to approach him. Last thing I want you to see about that situation, who did he send? It says that he sent the Jewish elders. Ha! That sounds like church people. Huh? <laughs> yeah, but more specifically, he sent the church leaders. <laughs> that absolutely proclaims to me, it tells me that if you are a leader in God's church, you have a mandate, a mandate to teach and to lead your people to respect and care and show compassion and concern for the oppressed. You have a mandate. You don't, you, you don't get to choose. You must do it. See, the, the, the thing here, that centurion, he knew, and he did not allow his social economic situation to interfere with his care and compassion for another individual. So now I want you to go with me just a little bit further because when you look at this passage, we see that he was also commended for his faith. If you want to be commended for your faith, be an individual who believe and live in accordance with the Word of God. One who followed Jesus' example of compassion, care, concern, love, support, and provision of those in need of justice or freedom, for those who are being oppressed, for those who need assistance removing the shackles that have been placed on them. Watch it. Some of you, when I said that word shackle, you immediately went to slavery. But I don't want you to leave here thinking that I'm talking about black Americans and slavery. Because I'm here to tell you that white, black, brown, yellow, and every other shade in between has got some shackles. Shackles of oppression, shackles of rejection, shackles of loneliness, shackles of, 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 of addiction. And if I didn't catch them all, let me just add one more. The shackles of sin. Yeah, everybody's got some. And we, as the church, we as God's representative here on this earth, we are to be about helping people to shed and throw off those shackles. Well, <laughs> there's one more story. And then I'm going to say, I am. I've been here too long. It comes from John. See, I almost hit all the Gospels this morning, didn't I? <laughs> so it comes from John. He, you have to go over to chapter 4 and look at verses 3 to 9. It says he left Judea. And he departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city called Sinkar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob, well, was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, 
ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> I want you to see something here. I want you to see something. See, we, we, we establish her as, first of all, being a, a, a Gentile because it says she was from Samaria. Not only was she a Samaritan, but she was a woman. Look, gal, two strikes against her. <laughs> oh, boy. Being from Samaria, oh, well, let, me, let me break that down for you. Being, down, being from Samaria means that she was from across the tracks. Across the tracks where no, <laughs> no Jewish person would ever venture to go, would even desire to go. See, uh, no self-respecting Jew would be there. Because she was a mixed race, society, in particular the Jews, had cast her aside as being not important, not deserving any attention, not being considered of value, not being considered as someone who could make a contribution or had made or could make a contribution to the world. Here again, a lot of takeaways. But first thing we need to know is that Jesus intentionally traveled to Samaria. See, a lot of the scripture says he had to go. Now, we know who Jesus is. When he said had to go, that wasn't, what that meant is that he intentionally went. And he went for a reason. You said, well, well what was that reason, lawyer? Well, <laughs> yeah, he had to go. I think he had to take this opportunity to teach this woman, the disciples, the nation, the world, and everybody, you and I, he had to teach us something about himself. And to, he had to give us an example of how we ought to interact with each other. I titled this message WDJD. You heard WWJD. What would Jesus do? I wrestled over this until almost the last day. It wasn't until Lisa sent me a note and said, hey, what's the subject? <laughs> And I'm like, well, Lord, the time is here. I'm going to make a, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to call it something. And I started thinking about Jesus says, well, you're going to tell them what I did. And it just hit me. What did Jesus do? <laughs> See, the idea here is that we need to follow his example. See, when I talk about intentionally going, it means that he intentionally went across the tracks to be able to deal with this lady. See, I've always tried to include action and inaction uh, as two different things when I talk about our witness. Because when you see, uh, we need to be intentional about getting involved in the plight of those who are less fortunate than ourselves. No matter their ethnic group, no matter their social economic status, no matter their political affiliation, no matter what other label man is put on them. Because God has only one label, my image bearer, my creation. And because of that, because of that, you and I cannot take a position where we take no stake in what is happening in our church, in our nation, in our state, in our world. To do so is to abdicate the God-given responsibility that every believer has. We can't do it. We can't do it. Well, I'm going to close, and I'm going to close like this. There's lots more I could share with you because, as the pastor said, I've had almost a month 
to salivate over this passage. <laughs> but I know you, you get a little anxious. The football game's going to start here at the while, and they're serving dinner <laughs> in just a few minutes down, there, down the road. So I'm, I'm going to sum it up by giving you four things that I want you to take away from here. First of all, Jesus knew how to take the initiative. Yeah, we witnessed that with the woman. We witnessed that. He knew how to take the initiative. And you know what? We do well to imitate that because there are those who are crying out for help right now in our church, in our community, in our society, our state, and our nation. Jesus also knew how to, number two, Jesus also knew how to respond to the initiative of others. We saw that with the centurion. We do well to imitate that. Like that young white pastor who donned his cape and jumped in. He, no regard for the odd looks that he might get or even the slanderous looks and saying that might come after that. Nor the shame he might face from the, that they might try to place on him for defending someone that they felt was of lesser importance. See, Jesus knew how to respond to initiative. <laughs> Jesus' approach was to establish some common ground. That's number three. See, not only uh, did Jesus know how to establish this common ground, but see, we saw in the Samaritan woman case, he knew where she would be, and he got there before her. <laughs> he knew where she would be, and he got there before us, and we do well to do exactly like he did. And number four, the love of Christ should act as a motivating, a compelling force on every believer to show compassion and care and concern and support and encouragement for all of God's image bearers. Now, I don't know where you find yourself in this word. I would imagine a church with this many people in it right now, we probably got folks that are in every avenue. That's okay. Because I'm here to also tell you that there is good news. See, if we, if we find ourselves falling short, forgiveness is available. If we find ourselves not taking the initiative sometime when the opportunity arrives, well, guess what? He'll give you some more opportunity. Yeah, if you find yourself not thinking that others are is important, well, he'll forgive you for that too. If you find yourself sitting on the sideline and not being an active participant in what God has called you to do in society, he'll forgive you for that too. That's what I love about the Lord. That's what I love about it. Not only do he love us enough to show us what we need to show up, show up, and grow up, he gives us the power to do it with. And then he forgives us for falling down. You got to love him for that. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, that's the first step you need to take. Because you cannot, you cannot love with the love of the Lord unless you are living in his precious waters of salvation. That's the only way. That's the only way. You don't have it within yourself to well up that kind of love, that kind of compassion, that kind of concern for your brothers and sisters. You don't have it. It is only through him indwelling inside of you that you're going to be able to make that happen. 
So we want to encourage you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, you need to do that first. And join your brothers and sisters in enjoying the, the sweetness, the goodness of the Lord right now, in the present time, as we anticipate the future when we will spend it in heaven with him in the future. God bless you. God bless his word. God bless most of all the obedience of his people to his word.